0: Hello and welcome to this first episode of the Life After Cardiac Arrest podcast with me, your host, Paul Swindell. I'm a cardiac arrest survivor. Mine happened just over five years ago. In that time, it's been quite a journey, which has been a bit Bit of a roller coaster, and I know many other survivors and their family members will be able to uh, understand what I mean by that. A year after my cardiac arrest, I set up the Sudden Cardiac Arrest UK Facebook group, and in that four years or so, I've learned quite a lot about what it is um, to be a survivor and survivorship. And I hope through this podcast to be able to expand on the information that's in the group. Uh, which is a closed group, so people who aren't members of Facebook or aren't members of that group can't see, but also the information that we have on the public site, which is the um, SouthernCardiacArrestUK.org website. As I say, my cardiac arrest was just over five years ago. Prior to that, I'd led a pretty healthy and fit lifestyle. I'd always participated in sport, never smoked, never drunk that much, and um, I like to be active and do stuff. I played a lot of football when I was younger and unfortunately, due to a football injury, I had to stop playing in the early 90s. I'm now 53, I think. Memory's a bit dodgy these days. But uh, my cardiac arrest was the day after my 48th birthday. I was previously a software developer, freelance one, and I've been working in London a few days before my cardiac arrest, I came out of the office one day to an extremely strange sight, which if you've seen my talk before or seen the slides of my talk, you'll be able to see it. It's this uh, man wearing a suit and a blue cape, upside down in a bucket with just a small hole to see out of. And I, at the time, I thought this is a bizarre sight and I took a photo of it, not realizing that in probably a matter of days, That's what my life was uh, to become feeling like. It was uh, incredibly symbolic, if you like, of my world being turned upside down. As I said, my cardiac arrest was the day after my 48th birthday. It was the 4th of April, 2014. That week had been, I suppose, slightly different to normal in that it was the uh, week before the Easter break. And I had just finished working with a client. I'd been with them for two years, and it had been an extremely uh, fruitful experience, both work-wise and socially, been uh, one of my best c- contracts of my career, really. And I was a little bit sad to leave, to tell the truth. But I was looking forward, and I was uh, organising interviews for the next coming weeks, and also enjoying some relaxing time to be able to go to the gym and do some activities and Go and see my kids do things at school because they were, they had plays and shows and uh, quiz nights and things like that at their schools. So it was quite fun. On the day before, my birthday, I went out for a meal with my parents for lunch. And in the an evening, I went out to see Frank Skinner at a local theatre. Apparently had a great time and uh, I laughed so much that my jaw was aching. But unfortunately, I don't remember any of that. In fact, the two or three weeks around my cardiac arrest are all very much uh, a bit of a blur or non-existent. And everything I'm going to tell you about that event is mostly um, secondhand or from third parties. I've seen pictures of myself around that time, and I don't understand now whether they're they're muddled memories, false memories, false memories from those pictures or whether I really do remember bits and pieces. But as I say, most of it's a very much of a blur. The actual day, the 4th of April, was pretty much like a lot of the previous days. I I got up and I went to the gym. I don't think it was particularly early, as I say, because we'd been out the night before. My wife was due out at a meeting and so I think we probably said our goodbyes and she went off and I, I went off to the gym and I came back about 11 o'clock, I believe. To my surprise, when I came home, she was there and she told me, unfortunately, the, uh, the meeting had been cancelled. And so she had come home and decided to uh, get ahead for the weekend and pack some stuff for my son who was going on a, a camping weekend that evening. We had a quick chat and then I went up to my uh, office to get on with some studying and uh, sorting out some uh, interviews while she was downstairs doing some packing. At 12.04, I sent off an email to confirm an interview for the following week and that's the last thing that I know I did before my cardiac arrest. From the ambulance records, I see that my wife phoned 999 at 1228. This is because she came up to speak to me when she was packing and found me prostrate on the floor, basically doing a very good impression of a doorstop. I wasn't looking too good a colour either. And on the ambulance records, it says I was uh, going blue. So in a state of cyanosis, I guess. Fortunately for me, my wife knows um, or has done first aid training and knows CPR. So she started CPR and luckily for me as well, the house phone was sitting on the desk right nearby when normally it would be down the back of a sofa or under a, the SETI or something. So she called 999 uh, and started the chain of survival. Luckily for me, an ambulance was not that far away. They were on the way to another call, but because um, I was a cardiac arrest, um, they diverted it and they were with me within four or five minutes, I believe. In the next 20 minutes or so, I believe I had uh, a number of uh, shocks from the defib, but they managed to get me back. A short while later, the Essex and Hearts Air Ambulance guys turned up and upset my local golf club by landing on one of their greens or fairways and then had to scramble through the woods and over some fences with their big bags that I know they carry. And they um, got me out of the house and into the front garden where apparently I was uh, quite agitated and thrashing around and not being too too good a patient basically, which I believe a lot of uh, patients are like that once they've been uh, initially resuscitated. And so they put me into, or once I'd got the uh, rest of the neighbours to quieten down because there was lots of building work and activity going on roundabout, and I guess the uh, critical care doctor, Dr. Will uh, McGinnis, needed some uh, quiet. But they put me into a um, an induced coma in my garden, and then I was taken off to the Essex Cardiothoracic Centre, which is part of the Basildon Hospital complex in south of Essex. I was in that coma for almost two days, I believe. My event was roughly around midday on the Friday, and I believe I came out of the coma on uh, Sunday morning. Like many other survivors, I had a terrible memory problem where I kept... um, repeating the same questions over and over again, asking what had happened, why I was there, all of those sort of things. But I don't think my wife or my family minded the issue because basically I was coherent and able to talk. And obviously that was a, a relatively good outcome from the fact that I had had an unwitnessed cardiac arrest where I believe the survival rate's about 3%. So to actually survive and be able to talk after that was uh, uh, pretty much miraculous. I was in the hospital for another 12 or so so days um, and I had numerous tests trying to work out why my heart had gone into what's called ventricular fibrillation, which is where the heart wobbles like a jelly and doesn't really pump. It's different to what you see in the films where that they quite often say people flatline and there's a, a basically a flat line on the monitor. That is where the heart has stopped output altogether. Whereas my one and many others who have a cardiac arrest are just having a, a useless wobble, really. Fortunately for me, the the useless wobble is what they call a shockable rhythm, and so that can you can get back out of that again. Whereas some of these other ones, like the flat line, are not really shockable, and so the actual Movie stuff is complete baloney, as the Americans would say. But anyway, I was in the hospital for two weeks, couldn't find any problems with uh, my heart. In fact, they said it was a very good condition. And so as protection, they gave me an ICD, which is an implantable cardioverter defibrillator. And this is a, a lead that goes into your heart and has a little box of, with a uh, battery and a capacitor and some a little circuitry, computer basically, which... When it detects uh, an errant heart rhythm it will try and pace the heart to get back to a normal rhythm or if you can't do that it will then shock me to restore the correct rhythm touch wood uh, it's not done anything and touch wood is not going to do anything for me but i know for many other patients that it can save their lives I was discharged the following day, which was uh, Good Friday, uh, the 18th of April. So I was in hospital exactly two weeks. Uh, As I say, it was Good Friday, but I felt anything but good. I felt really quite uh, drained, uh, dazed, confused about all what had happened. Uh, I didn't really understand what I was going through at that time, but I knew the short walk to the car park really took it out of me and uh, it was a pretty scary time I think for, for both myself and my wife, probably more so my wife because she had gone through the trauma of seeing her uh, husband being uh, essentially dead um, when, you're, when you go into cardiac arrest you're, and you stop breathing, um, you're essentially clinically dead. And if you don't have some intervention, uh, i.e. CPR or defibrillation, you're going to stay that way pretty much. And fortunately for me, she intervened, and I'm still here. So um, she'd gone through all of that trauma of seeing me be resuscitated and what having them resedated and then in the coma, and then whether there was any going to be a good outcome of me coming out of the coma. Um, and then having to go through all the tests as well with me to understand what's going on. So I was in the hospital, as I say, for two weeks with lots of monitors and nurses and doctors looking after me, and I couldn't fault that care. But when I was discharged, it was a case of pretty much, uh, sorry, we couldn't find anything wrong with you, but we got you back alive. Um, Try and live your life as best you can. If you've got any problems, go and see your GP. And you know, it was pretty scary time, as I say, for her, where she then became essentially the main carer for me, looking after me, and perhaps going into a hyper arousal mode, where she'd be checking after me every minute or every couple of minutes to make sure I was still breathing, and uh, and I'm sure many partners will know this, uh, checking whether you're alive at night, and just being very aware of. Uh, of the state of the other person it's um yeah it's a scary situation but anyway for the first couple of months i was i tried to rehab myself since i hadn't had a heart attack i didn't get any cardiac rehab offered to me i didn't even get any medications which in some uh, respects is good but on other respects it did make me wonder whether it's going to happen again I had uh, some problems post discharge, and um, I needed to go and see my GP. And to tell the truth, I don't think he really understood what a survivor was about. But it's possible that I was the first and only cardiac arrest survivor he'd seen. And trying to diagnose someone in the in the few minutes that you get an appointment when someone turns up and tells you, you know, what they've gone through and all the problems that they're experiencing. I probably wasn't expressing that in the best way either. Yeah, as I say, he didn't seem to get it. And one time he said, what do you expect? You are dead, Uh, which isn't always the best thing to hear. Anyway, I got referred to a neurologist because I had a previous uh, relationship with one uh, when I was younger. And he hadn't really seen many cardiac arrest survivors either. But he had seen stroke survivors, or had seen many of those, and he said he would treat me uh, as one of those. And due to financial reasons, I only got to see him for, I think it was just around over a year, uh, privately. Unfortunately, my insurance company doubled my premiums, and hence I couldn't afford it anymore post-arrest. But anyway, from him, I, I got... Not treatment. Well, I did get treatment for a permanent headache that i had had and still have. And, but got explanations and understanding of some of the other things that I was going through, like the, the problems with my speech and the memory and the fatigue, um, which, you know, no one had really explained what that was all about. And as I said, going to the GP, he hadn't really uh, helped with that either about 3 or 4 months after my cardiac arrest I also woke up one morning with a uh, a problem with my arm in that it, it my left arm the side that my ICD was on in that my arm was uh, stiff and purple and generally not looking great so we rushed to A&E and I was uh, straight through the A&E department and uh, they put me in a room to do an ECG on me and told me to relax and uh, so I laid back to close my eyes and then bang, I had a panic attack. and I'd never had one before and I've never had one since and that was the most scary thing of the whole episode so far, I reckoned, in five years. if you've, I'd never had a panic attack before and I didn't know what was going on with me. I don't know what they thought was going on with me. Maybe they thought I was having some sort of cardiac problem or, or what, but when I sort of regained awareness. Um, The room was full of doctors and nurses all around me, probably uh, extremely worried about me, but I think I I calmed down and we carried on. Uh, Eventually I was in the hospital for another three or four days where they did a load more tests on me to try and work out why my arm was swollen. Unfortunately, again, no answers were forthcoming. um, And unfortunately I probably caught a bug while I was in the hospital so I was drained even more once I came out of, uh, of there and it was a, only added to all the questions that I got. It was only about six months later where I had another similar episode while I was in the uh, trying to do a little bit of rehab in the gym with my wife I, I don't know if I mentioned earlier but I didn't actually get any rehab So we were, my wife's a fitness professional, so she was helping me um, do these sort of things because one of the things I found was that if you're not guided, you don't have any rehab plan to follow. It's very hard to know what is right to do. As I said, I was probably fit and healthy beforehand and I had been helping a a friend recover from a a serious back operation. And so I was probably actually the fittest I'd been for quite a while. Uh, we regularly did quite long walks at the weekend, and I was probably walking between five and seven miles uh, every day, with going to work and uh, a recreational work uh, walk during during lunchtime. So as I said, I was I was pretty fit, and I thought afterwards that I could be I should try and get back to doing that sort of thing. But I was finding, even just walking to the end of the road, which was just I don't know three or four minutes walk extremely exhausting and whether, I don't know whether I was doing the right thing or not at that time going out spending I would go for a walk for 15-20 minutes and then have to spend the next couple of hours asleep on the sofa in fact for the first 3-6 months I spent a lot of time sleeping and I know a lot of other survivors will um, probably be nodding their heads as well because they do that as well so During that first year, as I say, it was a a lot of stress for myself and my wife. Um, I must say, though, my uh, family, my extended family, my parents and my in-laws and my brother and my sister were all um, fantastic and they helped out um, immensely in, in all aspects, motivational and practical and, yeah, lots of ways. And I imagine for people who are... Uh, don't have access to that sort of help it can be a real struggle to to get by because I had so many questions I went looking for answers and as I hadn't got any help from the people that I could immediately get a medical attention from I went looking on uh, the internet and I came across a uh, a medical forum that was uh, the name escapes me now but part of that was a a group for cardiac arrest survivors, or as they knew it in America, a sudden cardiac arrest. And I think the difference is from a cardiac arrest and a sudden cardiac arrest is that a sudden cardiac arrest happens within a very short time frame and is unexpected. So most people in their life or at the end of their life will have a cardiac arrest because it is the end of life basically, and that can be caused by many other diseases or just old age um, whereas a sudden cardiac arrest happens as I say in a short space maybe within an hour I think it is and it's unexpected. So anyway I found this group for sudden cardiac arrest survivors and I found it very helpful and there was lots of good information in there but I really wanted to see someone face to face and I'd never met any cardiac arrest survivors before. I noticed um, that there were a number of people from the UK in that group. So after various to and froing about trying to get a meet-up, I put a line in the sand and I said, OK, let's, let's have a meet-up in the pub in London. And it was February 2015. And I invited people come to the Mulberry Bush pub, which is on the South Bank. And to my delight, we got 13 people there. I think there were six survivors and the rest were partners and fa- other family members and it was a really lovely afternoon even though we were total strangers there was so many connections between all of us and the partners and the other partners sort of they had a shared experience and th- they instantly knew what it was like to go through that experience there was a lot of tears shed and but it was a great great afternoon and we all said we must do something else after this. So we, we continued with some emails and uh, and about two months later, I thought we, we really need our own group. So although I wasn't a big Facebook user at the time, I decided to uh, create a Facebook group. And on the 1st of May, 2015, I did that. And that group has become Sudden Cardiac Arrest UK. From that initial 13 people that group in four years or just over four years has now grown to over 1200 members of which roughly two-thirds are are female which is slightly at odds with the general population of cardiac arrest survivors and i guess there is some bias to the users of facebook uh, with some of the stats i'm about to sort of um, talk to you about the Age range in the group um, is across the whole spectrum, but our sweet spot, if you like, is for the 35 to 54 year olds where we've got 55 percent of our members. But we've got plenty of people under 35 and plenty over 55. So a cardiac arrest can affect anyone at any age and any level of fitness, believe me. The group's mainly uh, survivors, roughly about 75 to 80% survivors, but we've got plenty of partners in the group and parents, and they're very important peoples as well. And there's a whole host of other types of medics and paramedics and doctors, um, although they're not huge, uh, of those. Um, of the survivors, most of them have um, had a down... Well, I say most, uh, over half have had a downtime of more than 15 minutes which is quite staggering when you think about that, really. Um, And a quarter of those have been over 25 minutes. I think probably the longest in the group I know about was about 50, 55 minutes. That's a long time to be without a heartbeat. But it's credit to the work that the people have done in the chain of survival to be able to uh, get those people through and survive. Um, And of the diagnosis, unusually, again, for our group, uh, uh, roughly a third, are like myself, idiopathic. They don't know why it happened. We've got a, about a quarter of who've had a heart attack first and another selection, probably a similar number of uh, those who've had an electrical problem. And then and there's a whole bunch of other reasons. I mean, a cardiac ar- arrest can cause be caused by a whole host of uh, reasons. And, but most of the ones in our group are cardiac in nature. As I say, in, in the wider world, I believe the average age is around 60, 62, something like that, and they, it tends to happen to men more than women. About a year after the group um, had been going, so this would have been um, 2016, someone posted into it a video called Life After Cardiac Arrest, and it was... Um, a sort of not documentary, but a little feature about a cardiac arrest survivor and his partner, um, about the excellent care they've been getting post discharged at, at, at the hospital, and the, showing the good results that they've been getting. It was of great interest to me, as because I hadn't had. A great experience post-discharge but then I noticed in the in the film um, the hospital where it was filmed at was the Essex Cardiothoracic Centre and also I noticed one of the people in the, the film. So I was a little bit uh, incensed and I wondered why they were saying about this great uh, thing they'd done but I hadn't received it. So I contacted the hospital and I got to speak to Dr Thomas Keeble who is the main instigator of this study. And um, he will be talking in one of the subsequent episodes and he will tell you more about what he was doing and how we got to meet. But it's um, basically we came to an agreement that my group or the group at that time, which was over 200 members, would be very useful for his study. And also he said he could help out with my group. He understood that there was lots of people in there in a similar situation to to me, which I, I was in that situation because I was part of his study, but I was in the control group, which meant I got the, the standard care, which, as we know for a lot of people, is not that much. As part of uh, the agreement to work together, Dr. Keeble has done uh, a number of things within the group, which I'll cover a little bit later, but I've also helped him out by presenting his study um, to his colleagues around the country and just recently in Sweden, which has been uh, an interesting journey for me. It's not something I'd ever thought I'd be doing, but it's been uh, an interesting journey, as I say. When I've helped him present his uh, study, I was asked to give the patient perspective, and so I collated some slides about my experience, but I also felt that I was very typical of what other people um, are ex- experience, and so I thought it'd be a good idea to share just not only my story but other people's story um, in the sort of a, a collated aggregated form. So what I talked about was the experience of what physical issues people were going through and that they were more than just a cardiac um, issue patient. In fact, I called us a, a cardiac plus patient in that generally we were getting, we were seen in a cardiology ward because quite often the nature of the, the cardiac arrest was cardiac and we tended to get excellent treatment. Our cardiac problems generally were, were fixed and when we left the hospital, you know, we had a, a good path to a resolution if it hadn't already been resolved or, or they had done as much as they could without finding out the answer. But we had other problems like main one uh, being fatigue and tiredness in general problems with our memory, whether that was short term um, or long term memory and problems perhaps with the language and processing skills where you know some people weren't thinking quite as fast as they used to and maybe having problems um, talking or understanding people. Having the what's termed as missing words, where they start a sentence and then forget the words they were trying to say, or you substitute a different word or even totally forget what they were trying to say in the first place i I experienced that many a time, and also things like a headache I, i'm not sure if I mentioned, but I've had a headache for. Uh, over five years now, and that's that's still not gone away. And I know of others similar sort of situation, and things like um, light and sound sensitivity, and concentration and focus issues. You know, there's a whole host of other impairments that people have mentioned. And if you're in the group, you'll see that there is a poll about um, sequelae, which is the posh word for ailments or symptoms that you have post an event or other illness one of the other big things that I've noticed in the group was the psychological issues that people were going through I mentioned that we felt very alone and abandoned when we first came out of hospital but there was huge amounts of um, emotional change and, and swings you could be very happy one day and very sad the next day uh, you know and this this could a lot be aligned with personality changes and some people say they don't have a filter anymore there are all sorts of strange things happen to them and there's one I call the serendipity paradox which is where there is a, an incre- incredible euphoria over surviving um, but then you actually realize that your life is quite different to how you were before and it's uh, rationalizing both of those feelings is quite difficult and you know if some people are unlucky enough to have memories of their actual event and this can lead to ptsd and panic attacks and depression anxiety lots of strange psychological things that people don't always realize at first hand because quite often there is that um, feeling of i survived and maybe some of these things are a little bit masked initially the other thing I was say about cardiac arrest is that it is life changing not only for the survivor but also for family members and the partners and with eighty percent of these events uh, occurring at home it's quite often the partner or a family member that is the lifesaver and this is an incredibly traumatic event for them to go through doing CPR on a resus Annie is one thing doing it on your partner is or your child or your parent is totally different and I find that lots of people are going through this traumatic event the focus is on the patient and they're not getting the treatment that they need and it's quite often just someone to talk to to explain their feelings and you know counselling essentially but they they become the the forgotten patient, as it were. the The cardiac arrest can have an impact on the on the well, it does have a massive impact on the survivor, but also, for, like for me, where I've had an ICD implanted, that has a an independence type impact in that you can no longer drive for six months, and if you have a shock within those six months or a future six months, if you're you're um, suspended at all you you can't drive for two years so that has an impact on working and and generally getting around especially if you're on your own or you live out in the country of course it's better than being the alternative but these are things that are often not thought about or currently aren't thought about and for lots of uh, institutional systems and financial type things they're tends not to be a box for cardiac arrest because people up until recently weren't surviving in any numbers. There's a heart attack box, yes, but there's not a cardiac arrest and there's a group of um, people in the group who have got um, critical illness insurance and their um, policies haven't paid out because they haven't got cardiac arrest on them. Heart attack is on there, but Apparently, cardiac arrest and being dead is not critical. This obviously can upset the family relationships and dynamics. And, you know, I've seen a number of patients and uh, their partners have uh, a falling out, as it were. Um, And it's and it causes incredible tension across the whole dynamic. So it's, it's a big, big event and not just for the patient. And many people will say that it is a real roller coaster, the, the journey of recovery. And I came across this study by Elizabeth Cougar Ross, who m- maybe you will know because it's been adapted to all sorts of um, large changes in people's life and even business. And it's this curve and it's got various stages where people sort of go through. People don't always go through all of the stages and all of the order that they, they uh they are in in the diagram but um i think it's uh it's it's worth knowing and checking out because it's something that's um i think is relevant to us and so the stages that people talk about are shock and denial anger depression adjustment and acceptance the group as i say has been going for about four years now and we've got uh, an associated website which has got over 100 pages covering all sorts of uh areas of interest um a lot of that—it's all patient-focused, and it tries to be. Well, I hope it tries to be um, more of a signpost to if there's any particular um, information that's better s- sourced by someone else, like the British Heart Foundation or the Resus Council or Headway. We will just signpost you to their resources because we're we're not medical people. It's it's patient-focused. What we do have a lot of is blog posts. And this is stuff written by patients, and so we are the expert on us and our stories. And it's a great way of um, sharing information. We've also got a leaflet which has been pr- printed ten thousand times by sag UK, and we've uh, distributed that out to hospitals across the country. And if you are, if you're going to a hospital and uh, for cardiac reasons for your cardiac arrest, then can you please uh, see if our leaflet is there? If it isn't, please contact SAD UK and get some copies and distribute them because we'd like to get them in as many hospitals as possible so that anyone who has a cardiac arrest can become a member of our group as soon as possible. One well, new thing that Facebook has introduced recently is something called Learning Units where we managed to collate information together, relevant pieces of information together into a unit and um, you can go through those units um, in a a helpful way and mark them off when you've done them to be able to sort of uh, learn the common topics that uh, cardiac arrest survivors and their partners talk about such as in the ICU, life with an ICD, practical help, sport and activities and returning to work that sort of thing and if you haven't got any help um, from your GP or mental health services in a in a timely fashion and you really are struggling then we can offer you thanks to such UK again um, up to six free counseling sessions with a practitioner a authorized practitioner near you from the the blog we've produced a a um, paperback and e-ba- ebook as well called life after cardiac arrest and hopefully it's just another way of getting um, our story and some information and glimmers of hope out there really that's also got a foreword written by dr tom Keeble, and also we've got this podcast which is this is the first episode but hopefully um this will grow and build um Upon all the other information and resources that we have, one of the good things about the group, I think, is the is the engagement. Not only the usual posts and, and comments and what have you that you can share in there, but is some of the the live Q and As that we have with Dr. Keeble and um, some of his colleagues. And recently, we just had a, a psychological one with Dr. Marco Mear. We also have lots of interesting polls um, which help let people know whereabouts they are in their recovery and what they're going through, whether they're uh, unusual or usual. And the other thing we do in the group is try try and help people push their their boundaries and their limits. And we've done a couple of activities such as walking over the O2 and some have done um, abseiling down the mital Tower in London, all very exciting stuff. One thing we did last year um, was held a big meet-up in uh, the Essex Cardio Thoracic Centre where we had a day of educational sessions and a party in the evening. And one of the main reasons was to create a Guinness World Record with the largest gathering of cardiac arrest survivors in one place. And I can tell you that it was a huge amount of work to do this, getting uh, all of the I's dotted and all the T's crossed and making sure that we met all of the criteria that they set down. But we had 300 people turn up on that day, which was fantastic. Um, And of those, 127 were cardiac arrest survivors and we had them in the room for, well, due to some technical issues, we had them in the room for quite a long time, but we managed to um, break the 10 minute boundary uh, quite easily and um, we got the record. Some of the benefits of being a member of the group, and I think there are quite a few, but the primary one is is that you don't feel alone, basically. As I said, you don't tend to meet a cardiac arrest survivor on the street or in the pub or wherever, um, but you will definitely meet some in the group. And if you come along to some of our meetups, of which we're having a big one in September 28th, um, 2019, in the barnsdale hall hotel which is in oakham and and rutland um well it's right on rutland water absolutely stunning location and if the sun shines it's going to be absolutely amazing again we're having a a day of um, educational sessions with topics that are relevant to um, cardiac arrest survivors and their partners and families and with some of the people who are at the Essex Cardiothoracic Centre, but also some world leaders. We've got Dr. Barbara, um, or Professor, I think she is, Professor Barbara Wilson um, coming to talk to us. Um, so it's absolutely fantastic. She's a, a, a world-leading um, neuro-rehab expert. So I do encourage you to come along. You need to book tickets. Do check out our website. There's a link to it from the main webpage, Southern Cardiac Arrest UK. Dot org, and the event's called Not Alone because hopefully you come along and you'll see you're not alone. One of the things about the group is also sharing experience. You can just put a post in and I'm sure you're going to get some replies and understanding from other people who have been through a similar thing. you think maybe that your story is totally unique and it, it is, but there will be lots of other bits that are familiar and you'll get some sympathy and empathy for other people and sharing your experience can really help in uh, processing it for yourself and also for other people to read and as i mentioned before we got lots of educational resources within the group and on the website and one of the good things about the group i think is learning all this information and sharing and talking stories and talking problems through is that it really helps you to normalize what you're going through and that uh, there is life after cardiac arrest, and it's a real empowering feeling. And in the, also within the group, there are many inspiring people who have gone on to do amazing things post arrest. Whether that's um, physical things like cycling or running or whatever, um, other people who've gone on to help other people in many other ways, doing talks, doing. Um, charity events, raising money for um, AEDs in their communities, teaching people CPR, even setting up courses or setting up um, companies doing all of that. And it's some um, amazing, inspiring people within the group. We've got lots of practical advice because quite often, you know, people in the group have been there and done it. So you only have to ask and you'll get some information back about it. And one of the things that's really great about the group is that, you know, pretty much any time of the day, any day of the week, there will be someone listening and who will give you a, an ear to listen to, basically. And possibly the biggest benefit of the group is that it helps people to adjust to the change that's that's been thrust upon them. We will have been discharged, or most of us from the, from the group will have been discharged as being classed as having a good outcome but there are lots of hidden issues lots of you only need to be down for a couple of minutes to to sustain some sort of brain injury and quite often people leave hospital totally unaware that they have that and any issues that they subsequently have are sometimes attributed to the medication sometimes that is true they are the medication but other times it is uh, it can be that the after effects have, have been without oxygen for a long time. And one of the things that people struggle with is finding normal, in air quotes, as it were. And, you know, what is normal anymore? You know, for many people, life will be different. Sometimes it might be better. Strangely, Strange thing to say, but there are... I've heard of people, is, it has is been the, the kick up the backside that they needed to make changes to their life to live life to um, in a fuller way maybe Um, so they've gone on and they're lucky that they haven't got any um, major deficits but others people who suffer in a a larger way it can be uh, extremely difficult to find what is normal after that yeah because there's all sorts of neurological physical psychological and psychosocial issues that go with having a cardiac arrest I'm afraid to sort of uh, clarify with some of what I was speaking about when I was talking at um, some of these uh, conferences to give the patient's perspective I, I've done previous um, polls in the group and this one was back in 2016 which was about whether people felt that their needs had been met in hospital and unsurprisingly um, nearly everyone said yes which was in stark contrast to those who had said um, whether their needs had been been met post-discharge, where only roughly a third had said yes. And a recent poll um, asking whether people felt that they had needed more help post-discharge, again, nearly everyone said yes. So it kind of shows something. There's a little bit amiss there. And as I said earlier, I didn't get any rehab, and I've said. Lots of good stories about rehab that people, when they do get it, they find it incredibly useful, not just in a physical way, but in a psychological way. And so I did a a poll to see whether people had had rehab or who got rehab. And I noticed a trend that those who had had a heart attack um, tended to get offered rehab, whether they took it or not. And those who didn't have a heart attack tended not to get offered it, um, like myself. And also following on for that, because of the psychological issues that I've been seeing in the group, I asked whether people got any psychological help, and it was only roughly a quarter of, of people got any psychological help. So I, I tend to finish up by sort of saying, what have I learned in the last uh, four or five years of, of being a survivor and, and being a, sort of an admin in a group like Sudden Cardiac Arrest UK? Well, the first thing, I it sounds a little bit like blowing my own trumpet, but the, the peer support group has become an invaluable resource, really, to its members. And maybe this is perhaps more, more so than it needs to be because there is a lack of help elsewhere, and it is a, a primary source of information in the UK now. The other thing to note is that, yeah, we are more than just a, a cardiac patient we, and we're experiencing physical and psychological problems because of that downtime. And yes, our heart is fixed usually, but there are lots of other issues that need a, need uh, addressing. And sometimes getting doctors to realise this or other medical professions and, and the general public as well to understand that it's not just a heart attack um, I know a heart attack is a serious thing in its own right and it has its own problems I know and a lot of people experience terrible trauma after a heart attack but there is a significant difference in cardiac arrest and heart attack which I think due to misunderstandings in language where a lot of people think they are the same they just don't get it that these extra problems that we have and it's a shame that we have these problems um, in that we don't actually get the care that we need to or quite often don't get proactive care to to cover those those problems. They are there. The services are there with just no care path, no official care pathway within the NHS to actually mandate that we get those, which is a real shame. and Because if they were given in a more proactive way, I think a lot of people would... Um, would be less likely to need things like counselling. And with an increased survival rate, as pushed by the the government and resource council, where they hope to get the uh, survival rate up to 11% in the next few years by the means of deploying more AEDs and having all school children um, trained up in CPR skills, then you know, there will be more survivors, which is great. But there needs to be the support services for those people as well. And finally, I normally say, but, you know, cardiologists and all the paramedics and the nurses and everyone involved in the chain of survival, they do an absolutely fantastic job. Because you think about it, as I say, 20, 30 years or even 50 50 years ago, the, the chances of anyone surviving were tiny absolutely tiny now we've got thousands and thousands of people surviving which is amazing it's a amazing feat of science and medical science and uh, human endeavor but it's not the end of the story in the chain of survival there are a number of rings and really the last one another one needs to be added to the end which is rehabilitation so that people and get back to living a life of of quality because you know humans aren't designed to be turned off and on again like a computer. That turning off does damage us. Turning us back on brings us to life again, but we need help with re-establishing a, a good life again. And as Gareth in the group says, dying as it turns out is easy. Survival is a whole lot harder. And. None a truer word was said, really. So this is my, my story up to now of uh, how I've got to where I am and I, I hopefully you found it a reasonably interesting journey. Um, as I say, this is my, my first attempt into doing this sort of thing. So hopefully I will improve as we go along and I've got lots of nice interviews lined up. And if there's any subjects that you would like to um me to look into or discuss or people to talk with please let me know at info at suddencardiacarrestuk.org and I will try and set them up and hopefully you will find this uh, useful I'm enjoying doing it so as long as I enjoy doing it I will continue to do so so thank you for listening and please get in touch if you need anything thank you